It's like the main thing that introduces Springlocks. And it's also something that Abby, anagram for baby, was almost put inside of. Ladies, gentlemen, and those with the good sense to do away with the whole notion, I welcome you to the premier audio medium for all your Fazbear entertainment needs. The Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. Note, FFPP is not responsible for any loss of appetite, disinterest, dismemberment, or other legally classified statuses. So strap in and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. It has been a little bit. We took a bit of a break last week because I have been moving and I'm still moving. If you can't tell, I'm in a basement. Oh, we are going to talk about that. But this is your podcast for all your FNAF needs. We will eventually talk about FNAF, but I need to rant, and this is the best medium to do it. I promise you FNAF will happen. There are timestamps in the description for when we switch topic, but I need to rant to somebody. So about, let's say, three weeks ago, we're talking about mid to late October, um, we decided that the place we were currently living in was no longer livable. Um, essentially, what was happening... It was one of those things where they took an old house and they kind of converted it into two apartments by splitting it horizontally. So the first floor and the basement was one apartment and the second floor and third floor was another apartment. We were the second and third floor, right? And there was linoleum floorboards throughout the entire thing, which is fine. You know, I'm not bougie. You know, I'm fine with some good old fashioned linoleum. The problem, though, with linoleum specifically is it only works well if you're on a flat surface. And this is an old house with uneven floors. What they were supposed to do is put in correct what is called subflooring, which basically evens everything out and then put the linoleum on top. They didn't do that. So uh, floorboards had been coming up since maybe April and we would just like put duct tape on it and move on. But it kept getting worse and worse where like corners would cut come up and it would catch your feet or like there'd be uneven planks and it would pinch you if you stepped on it. And like we've got a toddler who runs around barefoot. So that needed to be fixed. And the landlord said he'd send a guy out. Guy comes out and he kind of takes a look at everything. And he's like, well, with the way the flooring is messed up, if you really want it fixed, We'll have to take out all the linoleum, take out all the subflooring, and redo it. And to do that, you guys need to get every single thing out of here, and it won't be livable for like three weeks. And we're like, okay, so you guys aren't going to fix this until we move out. And they're like, no, but in the meantime, we can put caulking uh, on those gaps and then sand it down so it's at least a smooth surface. We're like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll deal with that. And then for like half a month, that solution worked and then it just started getting worse again and the caulking was coming up now. So it just, it didn't work. And we were like, okay, we can't live here anymore. We're going to have to break lease like two months, but our lease was up the end of December and it's like mid October. We're like, we're just going to have to break lease and get out of here early and move. So we looked around, we shopped around we finally settled on this place. It was like 30 minutes away and it was like a really big house. We're talking like two floors and a basement and great space. The whole basement was finished. So like our toddler could play in there, you know, like it was such a perfect spot and we tore it and there's dead roaches in the kitchen. And I was, I guess I, I don't blame myself for this, but I was in the moment pretty starstruck by the space that we were getting for only, I think like 32 50 a month. Um, and I was like, okay, they're dead though. 
So I told the, I was pointed out to the agent. I was like, hey, these are dead roaches in the kitchen. He was like, yeah, it's been vacant for three months, so they probably crawled in here during that. And I was like, okay, well, we don't fuck with bugs. Like, we are. We do not fuck with bugs. Don't fuck with roaches. We've had terrible experiences in the past with moving in with roaches in the place. And we're like, we do not want these in here. These cannot be in here. If we move in and there are live roaches here, and there's a roach infestation, we are moving out immediately, and we're getting all of our money back. And he was like, yeah, of course, totally. And he said, hey, if you're so concerned about it, how about you handle the exterminator, and we will just reimburse you in the rent. And I was like, okay, that's fine by me. And I hired Terminex, I had the guy come out, and I was like, hey, there's roaches. And he did a full inspection, I was with him, and he looked at the roaches, and I was like, hey, look, I don't see any live, um, I don't see any, like, evidence of live roaches under the sink next to the fridge in the cabinets and the dead roaches that are here are so petrified that they crushed my finger so these have been dead for a long time there's no active roach infestation i was like cool can you still do spray and he was like well there's no active infestation so we're not going to spray i was like whatever um and then a few days go by where and so that was on like the 25th then comes October 28th, the move-in day. We told our we told our old landlord, like, hey, we have to break lease. And he was like, I totally understand. Um, the, our old landlord's super cool about this whole process. And then we move everything out. We pack, like, 80% of our things in a U-Haul. Bring it over on the 28th. I go in. I'm like, let me just check where the roaches were, just to be safe. And I open the cabinet that's next to the fridge. What the hell is Casey doing in the background? Recording? with the cats in the room with me is going to be a whole thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I open the cabinet on the floor next to the fridge and there's a live roach and my heart sinks. I'm like, what the fuck do we do? So I try to call the exterminator, but it's the weekend. He doesn't work on the weekends. So we're like, all right, what the hell's going on? Um, we get a hold of him after like an hour of trying to reach out. And he's like, hey, like I said, I can't get there until like Monday or Tuesday. Um, but in the meantime, if you bug bomb the place, it'll flush out anybody that's alive. And when I get there, I can just spray the hell out of it with chemicals. I'm like, all right, that's fine. We'll deal. And then I start. So I start investigating. I'm like, all right, if there's a live roach, where is it coming from? And I pulled out the fridge. And when I tell you there was a foot wide pile of dead roaches and roach feces under this fridge, I'm not exaggerating. I almost threw up. It smelled horrible. It looked disgusting. It made my skin crawl. I sprayed the fuck out of it with Raid. And at this point, what I should have done, and this is, again, a mistake on my part, I should have said, hey, I should have called the um, the agent and been like, hey, this is fucked. We're getting out of here. We're not giving you a, a dime. But I said, hey, your cleaners did a shit job. We're getting this fixed. I'll clean it myself, but I expect to be reimbursed for all the products I have to spend. He was like, of course, we'll reimburse you. And then we bug bomb the place. I clean out that nest. We bug bomb the place. We get the exterminator back. And, we're, and he's like, okay, no more roaches. I'm like, you got it. And then like three days later, there was a live roach in the kitchen again. We're talking, we're like November 1st at this point. We're like, okay, what what's going on? And I contact the exterminator. He doesn't get back to me. Um... And we were like, okay, well, maybe, like, it's a straggler, you know, like, we killed a bunch of things. It could have, it, it wasn't, like, running around, you know, it was on its back. It was dying, but it was alive, you know. And we're like, okay, maybe it's just a straggler. Three more days go by. A live one that's not dying, running on the wall. 
And we're like, okay, this is a problem. And we contact the, it's like November 4th at this point. And we contact the agent. We're like, hey, there's still live roaches in here. He's like, but you guys got an exterminator. I'm like, I know. Do you know what that means? And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, it means your house is probably infested with roaches. And no matter how much we do, it's going to take months to get this place clear of roaches. And he was like, okay, well, do you want to just deal with that for a few months? And I was like, are you kidding me? Do you know? Anyone at home, if you don't know how like cockroaches and roaches work, they are the most like unsanitary insect by far their feces and carcasses are left all over the place and can trigger asthma and allergies and they carry pretty much any disease they come into contact with so they are like the be all end all of unsanitary unsafe insects and we're like no we can't live in here with for two months we have a five-month-old and a two-year-old we cannot live in a house filled with roaches for two months so i told him i'm like hey I'm going to get a hold of the exterminator. If the exterminator looks at me and he says, it's going to take one to two months to get rid of these roaches. We're getting out. We're getting all of our money back and you're reimbursing us the money we've spent. And he goes, all right, well, we'll see what the exterminator says. And then we end it there. I finally get a hold of the exterminator and he's like, yeah, well, it's roaches. And at this level, it's going to take a few months. So I was like, that's all I needed to hear. I get back to the, uh, the agent and I'm like, Hey, Exterminator told me it's going to take a few months. We are out of here and we expect every single cent back. And he, and this agent, the gall of this agent, he's like, oh, well, I'll tell the landlord, you know, he spent a lot of money, so he's going to be out a lot of money. And, and maybe we'll have to use some of the, some of the security deposit. I'm like, if you, and I told him so specifically, I'm like, this is not our fault. We have lived here for less than a week. This is your property that we have spent days cleaning pest controlling d like we rented a carpet cleaner and it came and the the liquid that came up from the carpet came up black like this is an unsafe unsanitary household if you lay a finger on our security deposit i will take your ass to court do not even think about that and he was like oh, okay well i'll talk to the landlord i was like i hate this agent so that aside right um, it turns out as we've been packing up, right? Our, it's a shame because the house is a great space and the neighbors are super nice. We were packing everything up. A neighbor came by today. We like walked up and he was like, Hey, I thought you guys were moving in. And we we're like, yeah, well, it turns out there's roaches and it's nasty in there. And he goes, Oh yeah. So it's still like that. And we're like, it's still like what? It turns out it's been nasty. The last tenant left and broke lease because things were breaking down. The landlord and agent didn't do anything, and then it just kept getting worse to the point where that finished basement with carpet throughout it, there was a, f it flooded and they didn't replace the carpet. They just like wet vacked it and called it a day, which is why it, the liquid came up black when we carpet cleaned it. Like there's black mold down there. So at this point, we're just gonna have to take them to court. Um, thank God. That Amanda's like family has a house that we can crash at for like two weeks while we get settled somewhere else. Um, ideally, like December 1st, we'll be in like our own place again. And for now, you guys get basement again. A little bit of nostalgia for people who've been around for a while on the channel. A lot of the early videos were in this basement. Um, but we're we're back in the fucking building again. Um <laughs> but that's why this whole process has taken 
two, three weeks, and it's still going on. So if you're wondering why, like, all the video, like, everything except for the main channel videos just dropped off all of a sudden, it's because all I could do was main channel videos. My The rest of my time was taken up by everything going on. Because technically, again, we are housed. We are living with Amanda's parents. But legally and technically, we're kind of homeless right now. Because uh, we have to, like, all of our stuff is in a storage unit, you know? We're crashing here until we can get a new place. And now we're in a going to be in a legal battle with our previous landlord. So it's just, it's, it's a whole mess. It's so much. Um... But yeah, I don't want to say any names and locations. One, I don't want to dox myself. And two, it's becoming a legal battle. So I probably shouldn't even say what I've said now. But I mean, I've said nothing but the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, regardless, I'm having a terrible time. Uh, <laughs> but on the bright side, uh, because we're at Amanda's mom's house, um, her family will be able to... I keep saying Amanda's mom's house. Amanda's family's house. Um, her family will be able to help uh, us get settled and ideally I'll be able to get back onto the regular content schedule, maybe even get a backlog together so that when we move again, I'll be able to still have regular content coming out, but we'll see. Um, and I understand, I already see the comments. Listen, I appreciate so much when you guys are like, no, it's okay. You can take a break. And I appreciate, and I know the sentiment there and I thank you for that. But algorithmically, I cannot take a break or else the channel dies. So yeah, that's been my month and will continue to be my month until probably like mid-December when we're finished moving into the new place, wherever that new place is going to be. But this is a FNAF podcast, right? We're like 10 minutes in. I haven't talked about FNAF yet. <laughs> um, so as far as topics for FNAF today, rant, rant over. Um, I wanted to talk about FNAF 1, specifically like how my thoughts of FNAF 1 have changed after watching the FNAF movie uh, like six times at this point. Um, now, again, I wanna—I said this in my video, the strikes are tentatively over. I've heard some talk, like I know Kellen Goff shared this on Twitter, and I've heard some other actors talking about that, like the agreements that were made between the studios and the union weren't great, specifically around AI protection and like making sure that like, I think the issue was a lot of the AI shit that studios want to do was handcuffed if the studio thought it was reasonable. And because it wasn't like cut and dry and it was up to studio discretion, a lot of actors are worried about that. So there's a chance the strikes are going to be back up and we'll see. But for now, the strikes are paused because the negotiations have continued. That so I we can talk about the movie guilt free, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, because I, I didn't like promoting the movie while the strikes were going on, even though like I'm not part of the union, I'm just trying to be like I, I want to be in solidarity with the union members. Um, but I mean, even though I'm not promoting the movie by talking about it, it it's a weird gray area, you know what I mean? Um, but I wanted to talk about the FNAF, FNAF one in like retrospect of watching the FNAF movie because before going into the FNAF movie, my thoughts on FNAF one had been for a while that it's Michael Afton looking for William. I don't know who I think for a while. So here was my take before watching the FNAF movie. And it's been a while since I've like really sat down and fleshed out a timeline. So it might not have even been, this might not even be fully accurate to like what I was thinking of. But when I think about FNAF one, what I was thinking for a while, 
is that it takes place after Sister Location, somewhere in the 90s. Um, the exact year is arbitrary, realistically. It doesn't super matter. Um, but right after Sister Location, William has nothing. Everything's gone. Um, so my mind went to... We already know that in FNAF 6, Henry creates a fake pizzeria to lure everybody together. And we know that in FNAF 3, Mike works at a haunted house in the hopes that it'll lure William. So to me, it almost seemed like a recurring theme to have like a restaurant or a location luring outside animatronics or outside characters to try to bring them back. So when I think of FNAF 1, what I was thinking was after Sister Location, William Afton has nothing and needs to start over. But he's like, maybe I can at least get Circus Baby back because I don't know where she is. So he opens the FNAF 1 pizzeria on like a shoestring budget. And that's why it's dingy. It's gross. The animatronics are like repaired but barely functional. And it's just a disgusting place to be at because otherwise, why would it be like that? So he opens that in the hopes that maybe Circus Baby will roll up and he can capture her and continue to work on her and experiment on her. But instead... Michael Afton shows up looking for William and the puppet shows up. And once he sees both of these dudes here, he closes the restaurant and he's like, peace out. I'm done. This didn't work. And then after FNAF 1 is when Follow Me happens, where William goes and disassembles the uh, FNAF 1 animatronics in the FNAF 1 location and then gets uh, spring locked and becomes Springtrap. We cut to, and, and then the next game would be FNAF 3. So that's where I was for a while. And I still think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think the movie, I don't think the movie is one-to-one -one with the games, obviously. There's a lot of reasons why it really can't be, um, unless there's a lot of reveals that we've yet to see in the movie. But what I think the movie is suggesting is something a little different. I think the movie is suggesting that the FNAF 1 pizzeria is closed during the gameplay of FNAF 1 and that Michael is more so taking on a role of William of like Dave in the books where in the books Dave aka William Afton is a security guard for a already closed down Freddy Fazbear's Pizza specifically the mall around Freddy Fazbear's Pizza but like still it the restaurant is closed down and he's watching over it and I think that's what we're seeing in the movie right because in the movie it's very clear like Freddy's has been closed for a while they just need somebody to like guard it at night so nobody breaks in and I think in retrospect of the movie that's probably what FNAF 1 is going for right now in the timeline where FNAF 1, the FNAF 1 pizzeria isn't open, but somebody needs to keep an eye on it, right? And I think that does make a lot of sense, and it explains why it's so run down. But then the question remains, at what what else from the movie can carry over to these games? Because the question, because uh, I, I know a lot of people are curious about Mike Schmidt in the movie, and like, is he actually an Afton, or is this a big twist and he's not an Afton at all? And does that carry over to the games? Because a lot of us had been assuming, I, I mean, myself included for sure, that like, Michael Afton is using the fake name Mike Schmidt to work at the FNAF 1 location for some reason. But in retrospect, is that true? I think it does make a lot of sense to still be true, and mainly that's from the logbook, right? The security logbook gives us a lot of lore about Michael Afton and his motivations, at least post-sister location, I would guess. 
because uh, I feel like the logbook does a lot to imply that Michael is going to these older FNAF pizzeria locations in order to try to piece together what's been going on and maybe even solely to help his younger brother move on. Um, because in the books, it definitely seems like he's working with Cassidy to talk to the crying child. Um, so when I think about Michael Afton and his role and then FNAF 1, 2, and 3 specifically, part of me wonders if Michael Afton is, uh, if the movie is backing up the theory that Michael Afton is going to the FNAF 1 and 2 locations after they've closed down. Now, I hesitate for FNAF 2 specifically, because if he goes to the FNAF 2 location after it's closed down, after the FNAF 1 location, that doesn't make sense, right? Because the Withers are there, and the Withers have to be there before FNAF 1. So, maybe he does eventually, but I do think, I do think, okay, Here's my here's my hot take, right? And I bring this up in the video. I think the movie might be doubling down on the theory that Michael Afton, at some point in the timeline, works for William Afton, whether or not he wants to. Like, maybe he's being manipulated, who knows? But he seems to... I think the movie is implying a relationship like Vanessa and William have for Michael, where he's reluctantly following him because of some kind of abuse. Um, and to me... I've always thought FNAF 2 Custom Night, Jeremy Fit, or, or Fritz Smith, is once again, that is Michael Afton. Now, why does Michael Afton keep getting fired for tampering with the animatronics? To me, I think Michael is trying to get William caught. I think in FNAF 2, this is, I think FNAF 2 is his first sign of rebellion towards William. I think he knows William is stuffing these kids into the suits, and he gets to the FNAF 2 location... And he knows kids get killed again. So he goes, I know, I'll expose him. And he gets hired. On the first day, he rips open the animatronics and realizes that they're not actually stuffed. Because in FNAF 2, the dead kids are just left around. But because of doing that, he still gets fired. That's where that's where I'm at. I think the movie is kind of not necessarily backing up that theory, but it's leaning in that direction. That like Michael Afton is working at some point in the timeline, working under William. And we see that again in Sister Location, where he pretty much directly says, like, I did what you asked me to. Which, again, I say in the video, but it really, to me, is like, this is the tone of a kid trying to appease their abusive father, to me. Before we continue, and before I forget, um, I've been holding on to this little guy for all the episodes so far. This is the official, I don't know if you missed this, the, the official... Rytos U2s. Now, I'm not being paid to say this. I am making commission off the plush. I don't know how that falls under, like, like paid promotion. Where, like, they're not paying me any of these spots of, like, advertising it. But I get commission when it sells. So I guess I'm being paid to promote this. I don't know. It's my plushie. Look at it. It's so cute. And it's you can squish it. It's, like, a decent, like, pillow size. It, he got a little apron on. If you don't like the apron... It's connected in like a few points that you could just like snip off and just have the toast. Um, it's on the YouTube's website. It supports the channel. It's really cute and I really love it. And it would mean the world if you could buy some. They're really cute. Um, <laughs> I'll put the link in the description, uh, probably above the email. Um, uh, I'm going to be not shutting the fuck up about this for until because it's also only available for two weeks. 
Uh, by the time this goes up, I think that's like 10 day, 10 more days. So like get one while you can, you know? Um, so I'm not, I'm until this is un, until you're not able to purchase it, I'm not going to shut the hell up about him. So get, get used to him. And I'm probably going to have him in most of my videos going forward. Cause he's just so dang cute. So other things that the movie might be telling us about FNAF 1, I don't think the date matches up because I think the movie, if I remember correctly, takes place in the year 2000. Um, I think it was 2000, 2006, maybe the time and the day, the like year of the FNAF movie is on a security camera early on. I don't remember exactly. It's like 2000 or 2006. It's early 2000s. But I do still think FNAF 1 takes place in the 90s. I, I think that tracks really well. I think I did my... um. I did the date math and it was like either 93 or 98, if I remember correctly. I'd have to relook. I don't like, so I've, I know a lot of people go off of the game theory metric of this was minimum wage at the time. I don't like that because I feel like the joke of, ah, ha, ha, he only made like 120 bucks. I feel like it's less intentional than the date of Friday the 13th. Because for those of you who don't know, in both FNAF, FNAF 1 and FNAF for those of you who don't know, in FNAF 2, it it ends on Friday the 13th. You get a paycheck, um, I think it's like November 13th, 1987, which is Friday the 13th. And you get a 13th paycheck and a 14th paycheck, 14th being custom night. Or no, 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 sorry, 14th being uh, 6th night. Um, and then in FNAF 1, you again get a November, th November 13th and November 14th paycheck. So if... FNAF 2 pays us on Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th. Why would FNAF 1 not also pay us on Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th? Again, it's also horror. You know, like it makes sense. So that being said, I I, I think matching that date with a year is more accurate than matching the minimum wage. And it's been a long time since I've looked at it, but I think that was either 1993 or 1998. Um, and I think that's still accurate for when FNAF 1 is taking place. That being said, it does the FNAF movie does prompt us with, is William still alive come FNAF 1? I've always thought, yes. I always thought that Follow Me took place after FNAF 1. Because I think that makes the most sense, right? Because we in FNAF 2, we have the withered animatronics where they, it looks like they've been taken apart. But it's ex explained in-game. That they're being used for spare parts. So that that has an explanation. And in Follow Me, after Follow Me, William is springlocked and all the animatronics are taken apart. So in FNAF 1, when we see all the animatronics put back together, to me that says that that Follow Me hasn't happened yet. And I understand that like, okay, well then where's the back room? But the point of the back room is it's not visible on any security cameras. So even if it was there... It wouldn't have been in use yet and wouldn't have been visible to us in FNAF 1. To me, I always thought FNAF 1, follow me, makes the most sense after FNAF 1. Where William wants to continue doing remnant experiments. He's out of remnant that he has. And he's like, well, I know these old animatronics still have some remnant in them. Let me take them apart. And then we have follow me. I think that makes the most sense. That being said... The FNAF movie kind of backs that up because in the FNAF movie, William Afton is alive and kicking while Michael is there. So it's kind of, a, it's again, it's, it's loose because they're not the same canon by any means, but it is showing us a good parallel of William being around during FNAF 1.
But hey, we're not there yet, but we're approaching the half hour mark, so I guess we will move on to some questions. So if you have any questions or theories you would like to be covered on the podcast, the email is Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. That is in the description because it is a pain to type. But it's Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast at gmail.com. So let's get into our first question from Kat Sheher. Thank you for your question. Who do you reckon the Springlock suit is in the sister location? Who do you reckon built it? Why was it built? I reckon we will learn more about it and help on it too. Do you reckon, Cat? No, I'm sorry. I'm teasing. Thank you for your question. Uh, There's just a lot of reckoning. Um, that's always been a big question mark for me, is the Springlock suit in Sister Location. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think FNAF recently put out, in, I think it was in the Origins of FNAF video that he made, he ha- he took a, took a guess at the Springlock suit in, the, in Sister Location being one of the early FNAF suits. And I think that does make sense. Um, it's been a while since I watched that. I'm going to be honest, but I, I think it does make sense roughly. I don't know. Right. If I had to take a guess as to what the suit was, I don't know if it was planned at the time what the Springlock suit was, because it is interesting. The only confirmed Springlock suits we have for the games is Spring Bonnie and Fred Bear. Right. We have no other confirmed game Springlock suits that I'm aware of besides the night Four one. So it's like, what is the night Four one? Um, I think the books raise a decent um, answer that we see in Tales from the Pizzaplex in the epilogues. That being the Jester Springlock suit that's used to eventually kill the mimic. Um, I think that's a pretty good guess. Especially because, like, it's a Springlock suit, it's a Jester, which would fit with Circus Baby's Party and Rental or Circus Baby's Pizza World. And and I think it just generally puts a nice bow on it. The only problem is we have no visual indication what that Springlock suit would look like facially. But all we know is that it's a Jester Springlock suit, right? We don't know that it's got this big open mouth. Another prompt that I've seen floated around that I think is also a really good guess is again because of the movie right in the movie it's made a pretty solid and direct long on-screen point about this Eladol springlock suit and i understand that the Eladol could just be a cool easter egg i totally get that but to me it feels weird that the like way this is the way springlocks are introduced it's like the main thing that introduces springlocks and it's also something that abby anagram for baby was almost put inside of in ella doll springlock suit the ella doll being the like what the animatronics of the charlie bots were based after so like that feels super important it could just be scott trolling because he loves to do shit like this but it feels so important and if we take into account that adult Ella doll animatronic was turned into like circus baby in the novels, essentially, then that does give credence to the idea that circus baby is a springlock suit in like some weird loosey goosey canon. So if we're going into that area of it, I wonder if the springlock suit in night four is an older clown and maybe even entered. Now, I understand the mask for Ennard is what we see in the hallway. So, like, Ennard isn't necessarily a real animatronic. But I wonder if there was a, like, clown springlock suit to work with Circus Baby. And it was, they stopped using it because it never opened. You know, and maybe that's what Ennard 
bases its body after. But I don't know. One of my biggest question marks in it is Baby Remarks, it was never used, at least not the way it was meant to be used. Which to me is like, oh shit, did William kill kids in it? But like, we have no mention of that in this story, so I have no idea. And then as far as it being important for Help Wanted 2, at first I was like, well, why would it be important for Help Wanted 2? But then I realized you're probably referencing the fact that the Help Wanted 2 trailer opens up in the sister location elevator, and that's a great call out. You know, if we get more sister location levels in Help Wanted 2, I wouldn't doubt that we get to do Night 4, but in VR. And if we do, we'll probably see more of that Springlock suit, which would be super important for the lore. So I, I think that's very possible, and I'm excited for it to be true. Hopefully you guys don't hear anything. The ventilation, the heat, like they've got an HVAC system for like heat specifically, um, and it just kicked on. And it's really, it's way louder down here now. So I hope you don't hear that on the microphone, but maybe you do. We'll find out. Uh, but thank you for your question. Next question is from Adam, he, him. Thank you for your question. What kind of villain would you say is good for the series' future? A return to purple guy? Um, thank you for your question. It's a great question. Um, this is more like opinion and narrative based than lore. And I do like touching on those. Um, I mean, I'm an English major, you know. Uh, storytelling is kind of my my not my forte, but like my preferred thing to talk about. I definitely think if they want to continue FNAF as a one long continuous story and not like a series of different stories, then I think the mimic does make a lot of sense for a overarching antagonist, right? This seemingly indestructible robot that only learns from what it sees. That's a really compelling villain. And it's a good analogy for the modern day, right? The best horror and often horror trends are just allegories for current fears in uh, like human life. So an example of this, right? Uh, during the Industrial Revolution is when a lot of monster horror was really popular, like Frankenstein. And that was kind of people latched onto it because they were already afraid of like humans overreaching. And then Frankenstein kind of fed to that fear. Um, it's not always good. You know, in the like 40s to the 60s, aliens was pretty much like the main horror like uh, not the main horror but like the most popular horror was like alien horror like oh aliens from outer space and unfortunately that's for the most part due to the massive racism in america uh for the waves of immigrants that were coming in and literally like that's where the the derogatory term alien comes like is used from is the the alien movies of the time were kind of feeding off that public fear not on purpose but they became so popular because people are already primed to that fear that's uh and uh, even today right zombie movies have been huge for the past 20 years, but that's kind of feeding into the public fear of people becoming zombies from being glued to technology, right? Like staring at their phones and being like that. And so that's why zombie movies have been so popular because it resonates with the current culture. And when you look at the mimic and more and more horror movies coming out right now where it's AI is the villain, that's pretty on the nose. I think you can guess what the public fear 
is that these movies about AI is leaning into. So I think that's really smart moving forward, the mimic in general. I think it's really good critique. And we know Scott is pretty anti-AI. Like we uh there was a, a fan game that was that used an AI recreation of Phone Guy's voice in it. And Scott asked the guy, like, hey, can you take this down? I'm not comfortable with that. And so we we know where Scott stands on the use of AI um in like art and creation and i i'm i'm very happy about that because i'm very anti ai art you know what i mean i'm very against that um so i think it makes sense i would say i hope that the supernatural elements of this series aren't completely lost and i don't think they are um because i think the supernatural elements is where the series really shines but for the most part especially moving forward for a while uh, I think the Mimic is a really smart villain to go for. Uh, but thank you for your question, Adam. Our next question is from Parker. He, him. Thank you for your question. I'm not sure if this has been asked yet, but what are your thoughts on MatPat's Mrs. Afton theory? I feel like it's an interesting take, but it's definitely a stretch to make a basically never seen or heard from character such a huge part of the games. However, I'm not sure who else would willingly take over Fazbear Entertainment. Thank you for your question. Uh, I, I feel like, so I haven't made like a full video on it. I did touch on it in my map hat timeline, like theory review. Um, and I brought it up during the, uh, live stream. Um, but I, I will say I've always been against the Mrs. Afton theory and it mainly because it's one of those theories that's just kind of, I don't want to say easy, but the thing is like, there are certain theories and Mrs. Afton falls into this category where we have no context, information, or evidence for the question in front of us. That being, who is the CEO of Fazbear? And we know, at this point, the CEO of Fazbear has to be important. So, like, who is this? We have no leads whatsoever. So when you take an answer like Mrs. Afton, which we also have no evidence, leads, or anything, you can say, hey, this makes sense, because there's no conflicting evidence, because there's no evidence. Granted, I agree with you, there is logic. Right. And in a lot of the FNAF like theory space, there's a lot that we have zero evidence on that you have to use logic to get through. So I don't fault this theory. I think this theory is very plausible. I personally don't like it, especially because the books imply something else. The Tales books kind of imply that until the like glitch trap virus takes over, which I do think at some point, especially at least by the time of security breach glitch trap has taken over the ceo communications right because we see all these emails being changed so i think by the time of security breach at least the ceo is just glitch trap manipulating things behind the scenes and no one actually checks in on the ceo that being said i think the books are implying that before that happens just some rich dumb tech mogul was like hey Here's an old nostalgic brand. I bet I can make a quick buck if I try to revitalize it. And I'm going to cut every corner I can along the way. Which, like, this wouldn't be the first time that FNAF kind of did an anti-capitalism critique. So it's kind of touching back on those roots. Especially if, like, if the mimic is meant to be a critique of, like, AI and technology taking over, I could very much see the CEO of Fazbear being a critique on these idiot idiot tech billionaires like Elon Musk who just burn everything they touch thinking they're smart. So if the CEO comes out and his name is like Felon Fusk and it's just this dumb rich guy who doesn't know what he's doing, I kind of wouldn't doubt that. You know what I mean? And I think the book implies that with Mr. Burroughs. 
where Mr. Burroughs is weirdly, weirdly Afton coded. But at his core, he's a rich, random dude who hates Fazbear, but knows he could make a quick buck off it. So that's why he, all of this is happening. Um, so I, th I think that makes more logical sense than Mrs. Afton. And that's where I'm at. But I do think Mrs. Afton is plausible. I'm not saying that. But thank you for your question, Parker. We got one last question coming up from Blue Sky J. She, her. Thank you for your question. I believe I've seen your art, Blue Sky J. If, if you're the Blue Sky J I'm thinking of. I like your art. Anyway, um, something I've been thinking about ever since Security Breach came out was the torn picture on the wall in the endo area of the little girl with black pigtails in the FNAF 4 bed. I'm led to believe that Cassidy, whom I believe was described in the FNAF security logbook to have black pigtails, was one of the children being experimented on in FNAF 4. I'm not saying that we play as her during FNAF 4, but, but it would make sense for Cassidy to hate William as the vengeful spirit if she was his test subject. This is one of those theories that like I think about it and I don't personally agree, but I think it's a really good and compelling theory, right? Um, we don't have a lot of evidence linking Cassidy to FNAF 4, but Didophobia does kind of suggest that FNAF 4 was an experiment chamber that could have been used on plenty of different people. And that would explain why Cassidy is the one you should not have killed. The reason I hesitate is because I'm pretty damn sure that at least Michael, if not Michael and the crying child also went through those experiments and they don't turn into the vengeful spirit. Only Cassidy does. So Cassidy to me would feel unique in some way, separate from FNAF 4. And I think the best, honestly, I've pretty much adopted this into my own uh, timeline in my brain because it's such a good theory. Uh, Stormhister recently came out with a theory on why Scraptrap looks like that. And in it, they talk about, um, they kind of explain why Cassidy becomes the one you should not have killed. And it's really solid. That being that after FNAF 3, William wants to make modifications, finds the old Fredbear suit, rips into the Fredbear suit and puts it on him. And that's why he looks a little bit more Fredbear-like. And that's why Cassidy, one, gets attached to him, and two, becomes the vengeful spirit. Because even in death, he's ripping into her. Now, granted, I will say, William does that to the other missing child incident kids in Follow Me. Totally fair uh, rebuttal there. But the attachment is another thing where, like, William attaches Fredbear to himself and is now almost, almost making Cassidy an unwilling participant in whatever Scrap Trap does. So, like, I, that's the counter-argument to the counter-argument. I think Stormister had a really solid theory, and I've just kind of been thinking that, like, yeah, I like that. I'm going to accept that. And because of that, I think that trumps the idea of Cassidy being in the FNAF 4 experiments. However, you raise a great point. That would be a really good explanation for that very deeply weird picture in the endo maze. Because why is there a random uh, black-haired pigtail girl in the FNAF 4 bed guarding the nightmare plush that is so weird now granted the nightmare plush could be referencing the FNAF 4 nightmare chamber totally valid so it could be both frankly I don't know actually it's something I have to think about thank you for your question blue sky J. but with that we're hitting 44 minutes I'm sure it's probably a little bit shorter because I had to cut out a few pauses a few water sips um but 
thank you all for joining me. Sorry again for the week hiatus of like every other kind of video, but we should be back and rolling. There should be your two shorts and two videos per week, not to mention second channel content that I don't edit, I just upload. Once again, if you have any questions or theories you would like covered on the podcast, the email is freddyfazbearpizzapodcast at gmail.com. The link is in the description. Along with it is the link for the Rye Toast YouTubes that is only available for like 10 more days. Please buy it. I get a commission every time somebody buys one, but also it's really cute and I'm really proud of it and I really just want people to have it. So thank you very much for that. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for watching the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast where the pizza abilities are endless. We hope to enjoy your future patronage. Bye-bye for now.